0: Welcome to episode 68 of the Swamp Flicks podcast. My name is Brandon Lede. And I'm James Cohn. And we are recording at James' apartment in Mid-City, New Orleans. And it is Halloween. <laughs> this is the Halloween episode of Swamp Flicks. Ghosts of <laughs> Gators. <laughs> and Nutria. We're a New Orleans-based podcast that talks about movies. And I have been spending... Way too much time Watching movies Because of New Orleans Film Fest In the past couple weeks So I'm a little fried From
1: that Well and Halloween too Cause you just kind of Overdose on horror Horror yeah So it's getting to that End point for me as well Where it's like Alright I'm ready to Watch some <laughs> A different genre For a change
0: Yeah cause we watch This stuff year round So like when you like Indulge on it all In one go It's a little much Have you done any Like Halloween
1: activities Like not movie related I did go to A Haunted House A Haunted House on Sunday. Which one? The mortuary? Oh, okay, cool. Eh. I've never been to that one, even though we used to live by it. The f- funniest part was that they sell these $50 VIP tickets, but the night we went, there was more people in the VIP line than in the regular line, and so it ended it up backfired. <laughs> Luckily my stepdad got the tickets for free, but I just thought that was so funny, like the VIPers have a line around the block and the <laughs> normal people just go in like why i hate those express passes at disney world yeah you
0: gotta like time it in this like weird way you have to like really be on top of the system to understand even how you're getting into places
1: you've been there before right Mm -hmm. it's pretty tame
0: no i haven't been to that one but i you know i used to go to like house of shock and stuff like that
1: it's not up to that level oh really no i mean House of shock at least when i went when i was a teenager scared the shit out of me this one was like fun but um
0: i went to like a comedy one last night
1: Comedy haunted house? Or? Yeah,
0: it's like promoted by Hugo Girl. Just huh. like those Hugo Girl how does like that, tags.
1: How does that work?
0: It was weird. It was like this play that you sit in. It was called the Subletters Omen, and it was like this kind of like comedic horror themed play about like gentrification and like Airbnb taking over the city. Hmm. So like the Airbnbers are kind of these like demons and zombies coming in and like taking over the stage play. And then when the play was over you walk through the set into this haunted house experience and they had like the ghost of Ruthie, the duck lady mm. or like uh drunk bachelorette parties from the quarter with like hand grenades stumbling around like zombies. And
1: yeah, it was, like, was entertaining.
0: Yeah. It was really fun and gross. And the set design was really beautiful. Like handmade DIY kind of stuff. Yeah.
1: See, that's the kind of stuff I get off on when I go to the haunted houses of just set design. Yeah. Uh, have you ever been to Thirteenth Gate in Battery? I have Ridge? no desire to go to that. Really, that one's so good as far as like costumes and sets. Don't they like manhandle you though? In, no, like- no, they can't oh, okay. touch you. Oh, that's good. Yeah, I, I don't like they, the they, uh, they like immersive,
0: like in the dark, getting your hair pulled and stuff. Like I have no, no. interest in
1: that. No, that's fuck that. Fuck that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think yeah, I think even House of Shock stopped doing that. All right, good. Well, they're out of business now, but. I did have one more Halloween uh activity this morning. Well, I did too. So oh, what'd you what was do? You? No, what
0: was yours? You go first. My dog wagged her tail so hard that she smacked it against the wall Ugh. and started spraying blood everywhere. She continued to wag her tail. So the uh, entire living room and kitchen of my house looked like a like murder scene. A fucking massacre, <laughs> dude.
1: Is she alright? Oh, uh yeah. I
0: mean, she didn't even notice she was doing it. Right. She's like happily wagging her tail and like every wag just sprayed another arc of blood somewhere else. Damn. I was Googling like how to get blood out of carpet and was like getting convinced that I was going to be like arrested. Yeah. The FBI is going <laughs> to show up at your doorstep.
1: <laughs> what else did you do? So I did go to voodoo on Saturday, uh, yeah. but I didn't actually go in voodoo. A friend of mine found this spot that was like really close to the stage, but on the other side of the fence. So we all went out there and uh, like brought some beers and just stood in the grass and listened to Marilyn Manson right on the other side of the fence, and you could hear it pretty clear. And while that was going on, our entertainment was watching people trying to scale the fence (laughs) to break in. And, you know, a lot of people did, but there was, like, this one drunk guy that kept failing and kept... He would, like, ask people to give him a boost, and he just couldn't (laughs) do it. And it it was just very entertaining. That, with the nostalgia of listening to Marilyn Manson in 20... 18. That's an all around
0: teenage Halloween experience right there.
1: Yeah. Like the soundtrack and the uh, setting. Definitely a throwback to high school.
0: I think the last time I went to Voodoo was on Halloween night and I saw Melvin's and Slayer or something like that. Oh, well that's yeah. fucking awesome. That was good. I paid for that though. Like
1: <laughs> I got to hear, I not see but got to hear Marilyn Manson and Travis Scott. Oh, that's not a bad combo, honestly. I Travis Scott sounded really good. I know some people I was with didn't care for about I was like, man, this shit sounds dope, dude. It's like, it's like very sleepy trap music. Yeah, and, well, just the sound was, like, really clear and crisp, and, um, anyway, so, got a couple Halloween activities in there. Have you been watching horror movies. A lot, yeah, and that, that's why it was so hard deciding for this episode, like, which ones to talk about, because I'm sure your experience is the same thing, where it's all becoming a blur, and it's hard to pick out individual Films that really I would even want to talk about at length. Okay, for the first one that I kind of forgot about until just now. Have you ever seen The Exorcist 3? Love it. It's so freaking awesome. That's the one with the dream sequence with like Fabio
0: and uh am I thinking of the right movie? Yeah, yeah. Fabio and uh what's the basketball player
1: that's in that dream sequence too? Oh, shit. I don't know my basketball players. Me neither. Some (laughs) 90s basketball players. Name starts with an E. It's just not coming. Patrick
0: Ewing, maybe? Okay.
1: But yeah, I I remember really liking that one. It holds up well. Yeah, it's weird. It's really weird and way more like doesn't take itself as seriously as the first one. So that I really liked. Uh, Also, I watched this movie Frogs that has Sam Shepard. Sam Elliott? Is it Elliott or...
0: Sam Elliott's, like, the Texan guy with, like, the handlebar oh, mustache. that yeah. guy. Yeah, yeah. Who's
1: Sam Shepard?
0: That that's... sounds like a British singer. I don't know. I can't confirm I, or deny. <laughs> that's Sam Smith.
1: Oh, shit. <laughs> and not to be confused with Shepard Smith. Smith <laughs> who's evil. Who's the Fox News yeah. guy. I think he's actually the least. He's a uh, buffoon. The Worst of the bunch. Anyway, getting totally off track. Yeah. Um, it's, like, very young Sam Elliott in the 70s. Yeah, he's a hunk. And, like, it's like this eco-terror thing, but what I really loved about it was all these menacing close-ups of just normal Mm bullfrogs or lizards or snakes, spiders. None of them are insanely large or grotesque. They're actually just, like, nature in its, like, real form has decided to attack these, like, rich southern fucks. But anyway, yeah, I just thought it was so funny that the movie's called Frogs and they really don't do anything. No, there's a lot of shots of them just kind of sitting there riveting, which is hilarious. But most of the killing is done by like other animals until like the very end. But I really enjoyed it. Actually, it was just very silly, but it was a lot of fun. Last summer, Brittany
0: and I did an episode of this podcast uh, that was just killer frogs movies. Um, that had to be on there. Yeah, right? Hunter King from a uh, storm surge of reverb came on the show that like surf rock show. Uh huh. Uh, and he was like nitpicking at, at frogs because most of the, he also takes like frog photography mm. in his like spare time. Well, he's the guy to have. <laughs> yeah. On yeah, yeah, that yeah. Episode. Um, <laughs> and he was nitpicking cause all the frogs in the movies are actually toads. There's like very few actual frogs in the movie. <laughs> What's the difference? Uh, I think toads are like more like land animals and they're like drier and like fatter and flatter. Okay. Frogs are kind of like sleek. I, you know, he he explained it and obviously I did not retain that much information
1: from it. <laughs> right. Well, I just love like the main bad guy, the way he dies at the end is he just falls out of his wheelchair mm-hmm. and then it looks like just the crew started throwing frogs on him and he's just like <laughs> screaming in terror. But it's like, dude, you wouldn't die from like 20 frogs being on you, but that's how the movie... And I, it's yeah. just, it's really funny. It's kind of like Night of the Lepus with the, uh, the yeah. rabbits. yeah. That was a good one. I think too. very similar. I
0: think Hell Comes to Frog Town was our like clear favorite like frog movie. But
1: oh, I haven't seen that one. What with Rowdy Roddy Piper? No. Oh my God!
0: What? hundred percent required viewing for you, dude.
1: You got me on the frogs and wrestling, man. It's amazing. Okay, I'll check that out.
0: It's like they live and Mad Max with like these humanoid frogs in it. Cool. You have to see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. I, I will see that. Haze Hell comes that. to Frogtown. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. Good <laughs> recommendation. The only other two I wanted to mention briefly, and this movie isn't even that good. It's this German exploitation film kind of like, um, i trying to think of an example, like the ultra gory, low budget, like shot on like cheap cameras. was the one that had blood in the title? Um, German film? No, no. Well, the name of this film is The Burning Moon But it reminded me of, oh, like Blood Feast Oh, okay Like those kind of movies Anyway
0: Like Grindhouse, kind of gore-fests
1: Yeah, gore-fests, like very tongue-in-cheek kind of humor Anyway, this movie isn't really that good I don't actually recommend it Uh, It involves this degenerate heroin addict Who tells his sister two really grotesque bedtime stories Which is like, whatever But the reason I brought it up is first of all, the practical effects are really, really good for the budget. And the climactic scene is this um, priest that's been doing bad things gets pulled into hell. And there's like a 15 minute scene in hell. And it was obviously just shot in like someone's basement. And he got his friends, they bought a bunch of carcasses. But it, I don't know, it's like. So gross and nasty and vile that it's one of the most like disgusting scenes of that kind I've ever seen. Dude gets like straight up sawed and ripped in half and people are walking over organs and like I had this frown grimace on my face the whole time. I was like, oh my God, this is like one of the grossest things I've ever seen. What's the title again? Uh, the Burning Moon. Okay. So, I don't know. So like it's like
0: worth it for the special effects kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, Honestly, I would just fast forward to that last scene. The mm-hmm. story and the movie as a whole isn't that great. But that last, like, 15 minutes is really something to behold. So, that one's kind of stuck with me. And the last one I wanted to talk about, and I know you've seen it. So, I went back and I've been watching The Nightmare on Elm Street again because that I think it actually is of the big, like Halloween, Friday the Thirteenth, Chucky. I think it's my favorite um, franchise because I think it has the most room to talk about different parts of the psyche and that dream
0: logic conceit really opens up the kills to like really weird. Concepts in the, in a way that
1: it. like Halloween can't really go there. Friday the Thirteenth can't. Yeah. And I'd seen them all except for the second one, and. I remember reading online about everyone saying, this is like the gayest horror movie ever. And I was like, oh, like, I'm sure it's undertones. But, dude, I watched it and I was like, wow. Like, they really, apparently the writers found out that the lead actor was gay and sort of closet and then, like, tweaked the script to really amplify those things. But, dude, it is like a hoot. Have you seen it or you, well, you know what I'm talking about? Well, years
0: ago when we were, I don't know if we were still living together, but we, you and I watched a lot of the Nightmare movies in a row and I watched that one in that context. Like I kind of binged the whole series and two didn't really stand out to me that much. And this is like a, a good while ago. Mm-hmm. I just didn't remember much of it being that memorable. Um, and then I've been reading a lot about like the gay subtext of it and I've been
1: really wanting to go back and rewatch Dude, it. Dude, you really should. Like I went into it knowing that mm-hmm. and It's definitely not the best Nightmare in Elm Street. It's not scary at all, really. But I think it has the most interesting subject matter. And if Freddy is like part of your psyche, like a kid struggling with his sexuality and Freddy is kind of the embodiment of his fear of coming out, if you take it in that context, it's. Kind of great. Yeah, I just think I
0: wasn't prepared for that. I want to say the actor has like a documentary he's working on about that experience. Uh, Well, it
1: was like a rumor for so long, which is insane. Like the director and writer were like, oh, no, we didn't write it to be explicitly gay or anything like that. But then they came out a few years ago and said like they basically admitted it like, yeah, we totally knew what we were doing. So I would definitely recommend going back and watching it in that context, and I think it actually handles that topic as well as you could expect from that kind of movie.
0: Yeah, the guy made a movie called Scream Queen, my nightmare on Elm Street. Right,
1: because every other (laughs) slasher flick, you know, the protagonist is... Like a a, final girl. A final girl, and he's the final girl. Mm -hmm. Yeah, anyway, just I would rewatch it in that context. It warrants a pretty interesting discussion. But anyway, so those are just kind of a few that stick out. But like I said, it's sort of been a blur I'm <laughs> watching a lot. What about you? Uh,
0: I have two that kind of relate to those. Um, I saw the new Halloween film speaking oh. of like slashers and like big franchise and filmmaking. Would you think I liked it a lot, but I should preface that by saying I'm not a huge fan of the original Halloween film that much. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a very basic slasher film because it's one of the first ones and like establish the rules of it yeah and I, I really like john carpenter's style and like the um soundtrack to it's obviously fucking amazing yeah. and i just i don't find that like masked killer kills horny teens formula that interesting when it's alone like i much prefer the like Freddy like dream logic stuff or like slumber party massacre 2 where it's like this like MTV demon with like a drill guitar. Like I really like the mutations that slashers took later. And when they became more ridiculous and like unhinged, but the new Halloween, the 2018 one directed by David Gordon green. And which is so
1: his career trajectory is so makes no sense. Yeah. (laughs) Co-written by Danny McBride too, which what does that mean? Um (laughs) Wait. And also didn't John Carpenter do the score? Yeah. With his
0: son. So it's a lot of like, remixing of the original score and then his son adds these like really droney loud guitars on top of it that gives it this really new unexpected like layer nice plays beautifully and i actually really liked this it's probably my second favorite halloween film after season of the witch and i think what it does that's really interesting is it's trying to satisfy two different tracks right you have the old school Halloween fans from the original 70s film that are really interested in what Laurie Strode, uh, the Jamie Lee Curtis character, is up to 40 years later. And then you have the other track, which is like new first weekend teens who have like never seen the original or like trying to rope in like a new audience to get interested in this franchise being rebooted so there could be more sequels after this. Mm-hmm. And what the movie does is it keeps those tracks separate. So you have... Laurie Strode is this like, she has PTSD from the original films, killings. Uh, it wipes out all the other sequels. So it's a sequel directly to the first film. Um, and she's been preparing for Michael's return. Like it's like a doomsday prepper and she's alienating herself from all of her family and friends and like legal troubles and falling into alcoholism, obsessing about Michael Myers coming back to try to kill her. Mm-hmm. Then you have the second track, which is just the regular slasher fans, Michael obviously escapes from, you know, the mental hospital. They decide
1: to move him on Halloween. Yeah,
0: of course, whatever, (laughs) like it has to happen for the movie to exist. And he's just indiscriminately doing the same thing he did in the first movie, which is like going around killing people senselessly because he's a pure embodiment of evil, not really thinking about what he's stabbing, just sort of like going through the motions, killing teens, killing just anything that walks in the path of his knife. And the only reason those two tracks converge is because Laurie and these like Dr. Loomis type psychologists and these like criminal minds podcasters who are like obsessed about getting into the mind of the killer all have it in their heads that it's Laurie's fate to have this like final showdown with Michael and get this closure. And because they're dead set on that being fate, they make it happen. Hmm. Like they enact these like circumstances so that Michael and Lori do clash and do have their final closure. But if she wasn't stuck in this trauma and reliving these things over and over again, she wouldn't be in danger. And she puts her whole family in danger because she's obsessed with it and can't move on. Hmm. Uh, Which I think is a really brilliant way to satisfy two different types of fans. And also like, it's really substantial like commentary on Michael being this like pure form of evil and everyone always wants to subscribe motives and like reasoning to his kills, and it just doesn't exist. And anytime someone tries to put their mind in a killer and explain evil and try to rationalize why people do evil things, mm-hmm. it just brings more harm instead of treating it like it is, uh, which I thought was incredibly smart.
1: That for- is smart. And also, like it kind of makes more sense that as opposed to in previous sequels where he gets out and he's... Intentionally going after someone, whether it's Jamie Lee Curtis or her daughter, whoever. It takes like a certain level of uh, f- like thinking that I don't necessarily think he would possess. Yeah. Like he's just pure, like you said, killing everything that steps in his way. So it's kind of interesting that it would take people smarter than him to kind of force it to happen. You know, like, it, if it didn't, it, he would just go along Killing whoever got in his path.
0: Yeah, like, what's scary about the first film is he only comes after her because she and her friends happen to be at his childhood home, like, delivering mail or something, while he's there and he sees her. And he's just like, oh, I gotta kill that. And in the second movie, they, like, try to rationalize it by it's making his him sister. her, her yeah. Yeah, siblings. And it really doesn't make... It kind of lessens the scariness of it by, like, rationalizing it. Right. And this one the new one is like a commentary on that where like people's rationalization and people's like assignment of logic to this illogical evil is what brings on
1: tragedy. Well, and I I don't know, we could have like a philosophical conversation about that A whole thing about (laughs) it. The the last thing I'll say, so we don't go on too long, but Halloween is such an interesting franchise because it has probably the most fucked up Canon of any, uh, horror franchise in the sense that in the second movie it's revealed it's his sister and then you have Season of the Witch which is just this oddball. I love that movie. Which is great. Yeah, yeah I, love, <laughs> I love that too and then in the fifth one they turn it into he's like he makes a deal with the devil. Aren't there like druid cults? Yeah something? and there's like a cult aspect and it's like he's supernatural is where they take it yeah. and then he in like H2O, I think he gets his head chopped off. You're like, oh, okay, like, it's over. End of that. But no, she chopped the wrong head. Uh, and the franchise has never really been able to figure out, like, what is Michael Myers? And to me, he's not a spiritual being. He is a man, and he just, his desire is just to kill, and that's it. But they, I think different filmmakers have taken different approaches, and it just gotten off it's original path, I think. And it seems like this is sort of a reset to what it originally was all about. Yeah.
0: And it's doing a lot. Like there's a lot of callbacks to every movie you just mentioned. Like it's, it's packed with like references to like satisfy nostalgia. It's continuing this like final girl storyline past where it logically should have ended like a long time ago. And it's also just delivering that pure slasher Goods just like interesting kills and like horny teens getting there, like mm-hmm. comeuppance for supposed transgressions. And on top of all of that, which, you know, is all fine. I would have liked the movie. Okay. If that's all it did, it has this whole new idea about like what fate means and like how once you are dead set on what your fate is and what's inevitable, you sort of like, it's just like a self-fulfilling prophecy. You like make it happen that's where the movie goes the extra mile for me. And I think that's kind of missing in a lot of the critical discourse I'm seeing about it is like, no one's really giving it credit for like how Lori endangers herself because she's stuck in this like mental rut because of the awful things that happened to her as a kid. Hmm. Um, Yeah. I think it's a really interesting movie that is kind of getting written off as like nostalgia bait. I think it's more than that.
1: Okay. I'm going to see it on Thursday. Hell yeah. Actually. So very excited for that.
0: Um, and one more quick one I want to mention. I was thinking about it when you were talking about that German film. It's called
1: Terrifier. It's on Boy, Netflix. Is that – there's one called I, – I There's one called Terrified. Terrified. I saw that. That's on, on Shutter S- On Sunday. Yeah. And it was not very good. Had some decent jump scares, but was not memorable. So you're talking about the one with the clown. Yes. Terrifier okay. is starring this
0: sort of slasher demon character called Art the Clown. Hmm. I would recommend it as a movie. I strongly disliked, <laughs> Really? but I would recommend looking at it the same way that you were talking about the German film. Right. Uh, because the guy who made it is a special effects artist. Like he's a practical effects, makeup, gore nerd. Mm-hmm. Like he like loves that, like handmade latex and blood and goo stuff. And what he does with that, killer clown character and the various ways he chops bodies in half and like rips into people is a fucking phenomenal sight. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, okay. Really great gore. I do not like the movie.
1: At right. All. Right. <laughs> so it, that's very similar to what I was saying about yeah. burning moon.
0: I, I don't even know if I, I don't know if I'm telling you to watch it on silent or if I'm telling
1: you to like, Oh no, I, I keep seeing it pop up on yeah. my recommended. And the, just this terrifying clown, and I've been.
0: And I'll, I'll give a disclaimer for why I don't like it too. Is it's because it mocks and torments women in like this kind of torture porn two thousands vibe that I that wish had died a long time it's ago. It's played out. Yeah, it really is. And it's kind of a shame that this beautifully designed hideous creature that they created for the movie
1: art, the clown who will stick in your so memory. Is there, is there any humor? Like I'm sort of thinking about yeah, the movie clown from a few years back. I loved clown.
0: Yeah. And I think clown has a better sense of humor and has a better justification for why they chose a clown in the first place beyond like clowns are just creepy. So right. let's do one. This one. It's just like the whole concept is evil killer. Clown murders, hot women for 90 minutes. And it gets really old and really morally Troubling because it goes beyond like typical Michael Myers, just killing horny teens thing to basically just mocking women. Like it's mocking sexy costumes on Halloween. It's mocking uh, selfies. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a part where he like cuts off one of their tits and wears them around and minces about and just mocks the way women walk that really upset me. Uh, So yeah, it's a fucking morally reprehensible picture But as, like, a business card for, like, Damien Leone's, um, like, skills as, like, a special effects artist, I think it's worth a look.
1: So maybe someone can, like, bring him on for a better story, better
0: script. If he had worked on that John Watts film Clown that you were just referencing, like, that combination would have been, like, one of the best horror movies of the 2010s. Uh, As is, like, I kind of just wish Art the Clown was in a better movie. (laughs) But um, it's... It's definitely something.
1: Okay. Yeah, no, I, I'll i check it out. It keeps getting recommended, so I have to watch it one of these days. And obviously, we're talking about more horror films. Yeah, <laughs> it segments. Stop. We got a couple more days to fit in as many as possible.
0: Earlier this month, we talked a lot about Lewis Cipher, the character in Angel Heart, which mm. was uh, Rob De Niro playing the devil uh, and very conspicuously not hiding it. Um, <laughs> and then uh, we've also been talking all month about, like, Superhero horror films. And I think today we found a way to satisfy both of those mm-hmm. like threads that we already opened. So you'll be hearing a lot about the devil and a little bit about superheroes. <laughs> and all that's coming up to you right now.
1: So matter.
2: you don't think God makes mistakes? Of course he does.
1: We all make mistakes. <laughs> of course, we make mistakes, they call it evil. When God makes mistakes, they call
0: it nature. And now it's time for our regular movie of the minute segment. Um, This is where hosts of the show bounce back and forth recommending films to each other. And I'm very happy that I got to recommend this film today. Uh, It's one of my three favorite George Miller films with Pig in the City and Fury Road. I think this is like his best trilogy. Uh, We're talking about 1987's The Witches of Eastwick. It stars Cher susan sarandon and michelle pfeiffer wow what a lineup (laughs) what
1: a lineup yeah
0: they're this like oblivious coven of witches like they don't realize that they're a coven of witches until they start conjuring spells by mistake just by all sharing the same thought and i guess because they're a redhead a blonde and like someone with black hair that's how the coven gets formed like it's kind of like vaguely sketched
1: out i guess they just kind of represent there's like some weird holy trinity of, of hair color. En-
0: energy, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, also, they're all very horny um, because they live in this small town in Rhode Island. And it's this like insane fantasy universe where Cher, Susan Sarandon, and Michelle Pfeiffer cannot get laid. Despite being like three of the most beautiful, like talented, enigmatic women. Well, at
1: least in the beginning, you know, they kind of make Susan Sarandon look kind of meek. And Michelle Pfeiffer is like wearing jump suits a lot of time. Cher just looks beautiful I guess her like hindrance is that she's like kind of tough and takes no shit
0: right and as they're sort of like complaining along with each other how they can't get laid and like how there's no perfect man they start to envision collectively what the perfect man would look like they're like handsome but not too handsome super charming no bullshit macho but not grotesquely so. Mm -hmm. Um, And lo and behold, this amalgamation of all the different self-contradictory things they say uh, shows up and it's Jack Nicholson. And he comes into town and seduces them one by one. And it turns out that he may or may not be the devil himself. Uh, His name is Daryl Van Horn, which sounds kind of like horny
1: devil. If you say it backwards when they're not even able to say or remember his name, In the beginning, it's just, like, this mysterious force that he has some power over them that they're not even, like, conscious of.
0: And I think what's interesting there is, like, the town itself comes up with his name collectively the same way that they conjure him and conjure... Like, whenever they get bored with, like, a uh, lecture at the beginning of the film, they wish that it would rain so they can go home, and then it rains. Or, like, the town is like, oh, what's his name? It's like, Daryl? Da, da, Dar- like, it's a collective conjuring of a of a thing that didn't exist until everyone agreed on it. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to pretend that I know how, like, people who really believe in, like, magic and spells know that how it works. But this feels like what people would say, like, practical magic application is, like, focusing your collective mental energy on, like, a single thought and sort of, mm-hmm. like, conjuring it into existence through, like, focused, practiced collaboration on like a mental level. Right. Um, so you get this like fun, romantic comedy between the three of these women being seduced by this devil until they're living in sin altogether, uh, in this like unconventional family in this fiercely Christian Rhode Island town. And then as they sort of become disenchanted with Daryl and he becomes more and more cruel, they willfully forget that he exists and he starts falling apart Reality starts falling apart and he shows himself to be more of this like satanic figure than he initially appeared Mm -hmm. uh, when he first arrived in Rhode Island. Uh, What did you
1: think of the witches of Eastwick? I loved it. And I pretty much called you right after and kind of was raving about it. The first thing I wanted to mention is we talked about Susan Sarandon and Cher, Michelle Pfeiffer, and they definitely hold it down, but we have to be honest. Jack Nicholson, for me, stole the show. I mean, because he's he dials it up to 11, and his character is so interesting because you talk about how they all conjured him as being this perfect, ideal man, but what he ends up actually being with these, like, he's wearing, like, satin robes, but this ugly ponytail. He's not really in shape. He's, like, sort of... Charming, but, like, kind of an asshole. Because they
0: kind of give mixed messages when they're, like, saying what they want from him. Like, I want him to be assertive and, like, not ask too many questions.
1: But I also want him to be thoughtful and, like, kind. Right. He's kind of this perfect embodiment of, like, not so much the ideal man, but, like you said, the conflicting ideas of what the ideal man is. And ultimately, he comes across as, like, kind of a doofus, (laughs) which is, like, very... The idea that, like, but he's also charming and also a doofus and unattractive, and Nicholson is able to pull that off somehow and make it, like, wickedly funny.
0: And I think one of the funny things, too, is when they're conjuring what they want from him, they also call him a tall, dark prince, which sounds lot like the prince of darkness. Right. So they're, like, kind of asking for Satan to show up, too. Like... And do you think he's the devil? Is that like what the John Updike novel this was based on was trying to get at? That he was uh, like, I was
1: going to ask if you read. The no, novel. I haven't read the. Novel. Yeah, I haven't read it. I mean, he's either a devil or or a demon. Yeah, but I, no, I I the way I was viewing it was he is the devil incarnate. And that role,
0: I know we I've re- referenced um, Rob De Niro earlier. That role, whenever someone plays Satan, invites you to go really big. And you're talking about him stealing the show and like chewing scenery when your cast is like Satan on Earth that's going to happen like you're going to end up yelling he goes in this really long rant about how women are a curse or like a natural disaster in the church and um we'll talk about about more depictions of the devil later in the episode but it feels like that's just kind of invited by the casting of
1: his he has a scene where he's trying to seduce shares character and he's on his bed very in touch with his sexuality and being very, like forthcoming, and trying to seduce her, he's like a sex kitten. He's like on his stomach, like purring and oh man, I dry was like, helping the bed. Oh my god, I was cracking up. And I think that's like some of the best. Like Nicholson is really good at physical comedy, and but that that scene in particular, but this movie as a whole kind of showcases like he is a master of physical comedy. But yeah, there were so many moments where he just had me rolling. So while it was like very fun and funny, I think there was also something interesting going on that I wanted to bring up to you. Like, do you see this as a feminist picture? That's a good question, because there's a lot going on, and you
0: know, the novel was originally written by a guy who uh,
1: apparently I was reading a little kind of has fallen out of favor yeah with a lot of readers now because i th- and i think this is key to understanding probably the novel but a little bit of the movie was i th- from what i was reading i think he had this idea that women were like basically very powerful and they're the source of all life but they might also be the source of all trouble yeah it's kind of that, like bullshit like
0: feminine mystique uh thing where like you can't understand women. They're like more than human and And it can be good or bad.
1: I got a little bit of that in
0: this. It's also coming out of Jack Nicholson's mouth. And I, I don't know if you can take him as the point of view character that seriously, right? Because he's not a real fully sculpted person. He's like these like cosmopolitan magazine ideas of what an ideal man would be, but with nothing behind it. So like whenever no one's paying attention to
1: him, he throws these like petulant, and then starts to like fall apart. Oh yeah, he reminded me of so many like a certain kind of masculinity where outwardly you have so much confidence, but as soon as you're rejected, you just fall apart and you're a piece of crap. um But th- there is a sec s-
0: like a subthread of the movie that has nothing to do with him about these women banding together and sort of forming this like utopia where like. What if we had everything we wanted? We were just like living in this like giant house. We could raise kids as a community and have this like sex toy Jack Nicholson on the on the side when we mm-hmm. needed him. Uh, and it, there's this like beautiful idyllic stretch in there where
1: like I think there's a scene where like their kids are playing with these like pink balloons and like operas playing, and they're just sort of oh, like, and there's a great shot where the camera is just going into a sea of balloons, like going up the staircase. It's gorgeous and. If you compare that to
0: when they turn on the local church woman who is trying to destroy that utopia, they turn on her and curse her so that she throws up cherry pits, mm-hmm. uh, which is one of the most grotesque displays I've ever seen. I in was a movie.
1: surprised at how gross. There's a lot of <laughs> vomiting. That's I did not see that coming.
0: Rivers of mucus and cherry pits coming out of a human being's mouth. And it's not fun. Like, it's not like, oh, this woman wronged us let's get back at her it's like they go too far in getting back at this like christian woman for going after them and i think the movie celebrates the sort of like female utopian community they establish and sort of like makes it look gross when they lash out at other women other women yeah so maybe there's some sort of feminist dichotomy in those two things where like you know, community is praised and like lashing out against your like sisters is, is damned. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of the grosser like misogynist stuff that might be
1: John Updike's voice is coming out of Jack Nicholson's mouth. So it's like hard to take it that seriously. Two points, one kind of for that. And one that I think kind of brings that down a peg is that I think ultimately what the movie was saying to me is like, kind of like the women don't know their own power the main characters have these crazy powers to like change nature and do anything they want at a whim. And it takes them a while to discover their own sexuality, their own skills to like bring that about. So there's this idea that like women can do anything if they just like believe in themselves and their powers. But then there's also like that doesn't come about until after the devil or Jack Nicholson's character has sort of brought it out of them. Like if you think of the Susan Sarandon character, who's all meek and not a good, as good of a musician as she wants to be, she immediately is lusting after Jack Nicholson. And then he shows her how to play. What is it? uh, Passionately or yeah, passionately. And then she lets her hair down and now she's discovered who she is. So I also picked up in this little thread. It's like, you still need a man to kind of push you in that direction i thought that was like a little icky but it i don't know like i don't come down on it one way or the other i just thought it was interesting there's a lot of layers to it and i th- think it actually is like a very interesting to view it in that that lens
0: i'll say that what i think is interesting about what you're describing is that they communally conjure him and they communally banish him whenever he gets too
1: big for his britches and like thinks that he has too much so power. They're the over ones them. kind of using they yeah. use him to kind of bring out stuff in themselves that they knew was already there. And when they're done with him
0: they get rid of him. But I think the most important part of that is that individually they have their like weaknesses, but when they band together and form this, like, they can do community, they can do anything. Thing. Yeah. And I think that might be where the feminist energy of the movie is coming from, is, like, this collaboration and
1: this, like, sisterhood between them, even though they're not, like, technically right. related. I just wanted to bring that up because, like, you know, like I said, I, I do think Nicholson steals the show in some ways, but I don't want to make it all about him and his performance. I think the three women in the movie, like, do a lot to carry more, I think, with the actual message And the heart of the film is, and then they kind of let Jack just be Jack and get all the laughs. But I think the heart of the movie is really with, you know, Susan Sarandon and Cher and Michelle Pfeiffer and their characters. Yeah.
0: And it's probably worth saying too, that like two guys with a movie podcast are probably not going to be the definitive voice on whether or not any text is feminist. (laughs) Right. But yeah, this one does have like an interesting like back and forth, like self-contradiction in that exact like political context. But yeah, we've been talking a lot about, like, the, like, relationships and the, you know, dynamic between the women and Jack Nicholson and stuff.
1: But what do you think about this movie as, like, a special effects showcase? I'm assuming you're talking about at the end when he shows his true form. That is
0: definitely one of the bigger pieces. And then there's, like, a lot of, like, wind blowing and... Puke, uh, like we discussed earlier, but yeah, the final like demonic form of Jack Nicholson in the film is spectacular in its own way.
1: Yeah, I thought the la- the last like 15 minutes of this movie was such a hoot and like I thought the special effects were really well done. Like it looked cheesy, but I liked how cheesy it looked, especially when he turns into this huge monster and they they throw his um, like voodoo doll thing he starts melting and then he turns into like a little newt you see like a little newt with like a jack nicholson face and then he just pops into thin air like it's obviously like a little cheesy and dated but i thought it was really endearing and upsetting too though right like it's not it's not pleasant to look at like no no (laughs) no not at all no it it was definitely uh definitely well done i thought and that's kind of like George Miller's
0: overall thing is like you know the practical effects in Fury Road were a big deal, like just staging that over the top thing in the desert. Um, and he had a producer credit on the first Babe as well, and like the sort of mechanical puppets in that film were like a really big deal as far as like special effects wizardry go. It was up there with like Jurassic Park, almost like on like the animatronic puppetry kind of.
1: The only stuff technology. that I thought looked really bad was like the tennis scene oh yeah the ball is just like it's so obviously a cgi before cgi had really gotten better at looking realistic that was the one thing that kind of took me out of it but outside of that it was it was solid effects wise
0: that's even then like the storytelling of like that's michelle pfeiffer finding
1: herself right
0: that kind of carries through the like sort of green screen yeah i thought the
1: scene itself worked well yeah but, yeah, that was the one, like, little effects thing where I was like, oh, eh, that doesn't look very good. But, honestly, like, solid performances all around, like, a whole lot of fun. It's friggin' funny. The climax is absolutely insane, <laughs> especially, like, at the very end. And, like, we were kind of getting into earlier, like, there's a little bit to chew on to um, thematically, Yeah. you know. So, o- overall, man, I really, really love this movie.
0: And if you're going to hire someone to go over the top as, like, a satanic figure, like Jack Nicholson chewing scenery and yelling at the top of his lungs is always a sure bet for, like, entertainment
1: value. Just seeing him go from, like, suavely, like, kind of manipulating them to, like, being super jealous and in a rage. And then ultimately, like, getting his at the end where he's coughing up feathers and he's getting blown (laughs) down the street and the car is, like, going... 100 miles an hour and he's like strapped to the hood and all that stuff man it was just like it was a lot of fun
0: yeah big spectacle horror comedy
1: yeah definitely leaning a little more to the comedy side of it which I liked
2: let me give you a little inside information about God. God likes to watch. He's a prankster. Think about it. He gives man instincts. He gives you this extraordinary gift, and then what does he do? I swear, for his own amusement, his own private cosmic gag reel. He sets the rules in opposition. It's the goof of all time. Look, but don't touch. Touch but don't taste taste
1: don't swallow
2: (laughs) and while you're jumping from one foot to the next what is he doing he's laughing his sick fucking ass off he's a tight ass he's a sadist
0: and now it's time for our feature conversation uh joining us we have virginia ruth gregory uh who has been on this uh show before talking about john waters movies one time And also, for another Halloween episode, she talked to us about witch movies for kids
2: Hocus Pocus, and was it Kiki's Delivery Service, and The Worst Witch? Teen Witch and The Worst Witch. Yeah, Yeah, all All the witches.
0: (laughs) And we invited you back today to talk about Keanu Reeves in the times that he squared off against the devil, which has happened at least three times that we found. Um, Why did I invite you to talk about Keanu Reeves? (laughs)
2: um so so keanu reeves was probably my first celebrity crush i think that my my older brothers indoctrinated me into the bill and ted world pretty early and then the matrix happened and so he's just always been like this very like futuristic hot mellow kind of hero he
0: does do a lot of like futuristic sci-fi
2: stuff yeah I think one of the first
0: R-rated films I ever saw in the theater was Johnny Mnemonic.
2: That's a great one. That is <laughs> a fantastic. Yeah, he really gets to showcase his, you know, like what hacker is
1: skills. Is it like his aloofness? Is that where the attractiveness comes from? Because well, He also, also got- has this like messianic. Thing going on where he's just kind of above it all. Yes, he's also
2: yeah. pl- he's also played messiahs. Yeah, I was I was thinking about that when we were watching these you know Satan movies that he's like been Buddha, you know, and that mm-hmm. kind of thing.
0: He's got this like California like he's incredibly handsome, but in this like racially ambiguous way. Oh yeah, where he's just like he seems undefinable in a yeah. way that he is, I guess, relatable to like a lo- yeah. large swath of people, but at the
2: same time can play sort of an outsider.
0: And he's got kind of this like California stoner uh, attitude in his voice. Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) I mean,
2: I was a little girl and I didn't even know like what a stoner dude was, but I was like, oh, that, that's hot. Like (laughs) he's, he's so, you know, like just kind of thoughtless half the time, but also really sweet. Like there's not a lot going on, but he's, he's coming from a good place.
0: I think that's a good place to start with the first movie too. We're going to be talking about Bill and Ted's bogus journey from 1991 uh, obviously, a sequel to Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, because it both has Keanu Reeves playing this sort of, like, religious figure for this future cult, Um, and also playing this, like, California stoner who's completely clueless at the same time. And definitely, of the two main characters, Bill and Ted, he plays Ted, right? I get them swapped Ted is yeah. Theodore Logan. <laughs> he is definitely <laughs> the hunkier of the two, because the guy who plays Bill S. Preston Esquire is kind of a booger. Yeah. <laughs> uh I grew up believing Bill and Ted's bogus journey to be the superior of the films um, because it's like a little wackier and more ambitious. Uh, The first movie has them traveling through time to collect all these historical figures to ace their history exam. Uh, This one has ghosts and aliens and killer robots and fate and they square off against death and, travel dimensions yeah. um and i was just always more enamored with this one as a child uh what, what's y'all's relationship with bill and ted's bogus journey
1: i mean i didn't watch it until like two days ago <laughs> it's your first experience first, first time seeing it yeah yeah i really liked it and i think i did like it more than the first one originally like apparently it was supposed to originally be titled bill and ted go to goes to hell yeah which i think is a great title but wow. they couldn't yeah But they couldn't, like, advertise it until after 9 o'clock, so they changed it. But, yeah, I love the stuff with, like, the play on Ingmar Bergman, Seventh Seal, and it did feel more ambitious than the first one.
0: We should definitely elaborate on that, too, because, like, the sort of, like, hook of the movie is that they die because they're killed by robot evil Evil versions of themselves. Yeah, Yeah, who Um, are great. They're great, and they're horrible. They're awful. Like... (laughs) I think if like you hated Bill and Ted in the 80s and you thought it was like a jocky like mainstream humor um mm-hmm. you would think of those two characters as being Bill and Ted. Yeah. You're like, "Oh, it's like jock bro humor." And those evil versions in the film are like what those what that like detractor would be picturing in their heads, you know? Absolutely.
2: Yeah, like the punchlines. Everything was just like turned up to 10,000. Yeah, but and they, they do they it so well.
0: Use a couple of misogynistic and homophobic uh, slurs in there There's, as well.
2: Yeah, the, so the ro- so the robot Ted, I think, or one of them, use a, yeah, like says the F word. And then in hell, they call Satan yeah. the F word as well, which really Ooh. stuck stuck in my head. Cause, that, I yeah. missed that
1: for some, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, it was I,
2: something like.
1: That was very surprising. Yeah. I was like, wait. The good, the good ones. Yeah. What? That doesn't yeah. make any sense. And
2: I, and I don't remember noticing that, obviously, like as a kid or the, any of the other times I saw it.
0: Yeah, that definitely does not age well. And a lot of like Reagan era comedies have that sort of like Jock Bro
2: yeah.
0: uh, humor, sort of like ruining the vibe.
2: The Hughes. Yeah. Yeah, have that.
0: definitely. Um, but this one, like you said, has Ingmar Bergman's like vision of death from the seventh seal. Uh, it's the exact character, except now he's this wacky guy. <sighs> Who they can give wedgies to and outsmart in games
1: of, like, Twister and Battleship. Yeah, he was by far my favorite, like, (laughs) side character. He's so awesome. (laughs) And also, rewatching it now, I think what stands out to
0: me is how much this reminds me of The Good Place.
2: Yes. Uh, Yeah.
0: But they're both Jason Mendoza. Like, they're both, like, these, like, (laughs) idiots who don't really deserve the bad things that happen to them. They're just kind of dirtbags because they're, like, California, like...
2: Absolutely, yeah, they were, like, privileged, but now they you know, kind of have to, like, face the music, and they don't want to do that. And, like, sort of the base of both of those movies is them sort of, like, resisting resisting adulthood in a way.
0: I think the uh, sequel that's proposed for this film is called Bill and Ted Face the Music, too, so that was a good um, oh. airdrop in there. I didn't, I didn't know that. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, they, like, meet with God, and they go to the good place, and they, like they just sort of like bumble their way into like solving all the world's ills in this like sort of self-fulfilling prophecy where the fate of the universe is decided at this battle of the bands that they solve through time travel. Um, Really ambitious for like a stoner comedy from the eighties. And I think that's one of the reasons the title goes, Bill and Ted goes to hell was probably not a great idea, even though it's a great title. It's because they spend a lot of time in heaven hanging out with space aliens, preparing for this, like, battle of the bands. But the sequence in Hell is maybe, like, five or ten minutes.
1: But, see, I love that version of Hell, where it's, like, your grandmother trying to yeah. give you a kiss. There's, yeah, personal or Hell someone and someone forcing you hell. into the military. Yeah, I like the, the Hell stuff.
0: Yeah, basically, Satan puts them in these, like, tunnel of rooms where they have to choose their eternity. Like, which... Personal hell? Would you like to relive over and over and over again? And their reaction is, uh, "Dude, hell sucks, <laughs> <laughs> definitely." Like they don't have much of like a, a intellectual response to it. They're just sort of like Jason in their way through the movie. Get me out. And they really only talk to Satan for like one minute, right? I I didn't even catch the homophobic slur in there. I have to like rewatch it for
2: that. Yeah, it comes at the end of their conversation, maybe as like oh you know what maybe they're not calling satan the slur but the drill sergeant oh
0: maybe so it's
2: it's it's in some chase scene that ensues you know when they're exiting hell because
0: when when they first get there satan's like standing on this like floating rock to greet them
2: that was pretty great when they were like all our metal album covers like lied to us or (laughs) like yeah it was pretty it was pretty epic metal album cover hell though
0: yeah, and it's a pretty traditional version of Satan. He's this like this red demon monster character who's like larger than the like plebeians that he like tortures for eternity.
1: You know, I was kind of thinking though like you said it was made in 91. Mhm. So I guess I was still when like rock and grunge was like the hip cool music, but that seems so dated and kind of in 2018 where like rock is the least cool genre. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm imagining some version of Bill and Ted where it's, like, EDM or, like, hip-hop or something. And that was so interesting watching it as, like, a fan of rock and heavy music. Like, it feels like a bygone era where that could even be seen as cool.
0: Yeah, there's, like, an extensive cameo from one of the members of Faith No More. Yeah, there's Faith No More. There's Primus. Primus, too,
2: yeah. Yeah, there's there's Faith No More that, like, plays over one of the scenes, too. Yeah, there's
1: a lot of I love that, that faith no more. Cameo. And then there's like a
0: Megadeth song over the end credits where they sample the slur over and over again. Uh, did you watch the credits? No. They just sort of like airdrop in like a clip of them oh. saying that word. Uh it was really <laughs> bizarre, but Yikes. it was uh who's the guy from Metallica that kicked out and did me- Megadeth? Um Dave Mustaine. Yeah, I think it was like oh, his must. solo work used to promote the movie or something. Wow. Um but yeah, it feels like this you know, it's that exact cusp between like hair metal and grunge, uh, where like either way, whichever one you were a fan of, it you like rock and roll was like the main seller at that mm-hmm. time. Whereas like when we watch Defgasm for this show, which is like a twenty tens movie about like eighties mm. demonic metal stuff, that feels like a nostalgic throwback, uh, in a in a way that this one doesn't.
1: Yeah, this one feels like very earnest in its love of rock and roll. It's there's no like irony. Which I kind of it makes it more endearing yeah. to me. Did you enjoy the film? Like I'm, I'm really weirded
0: out that you've never seen this before.
1: Honestly, like I like Bill and Ted. just yeah. Fine. Yeah. Um, I can't say that I was super into it or like fully engaged the whole time. I mean, I'm sure if I was like a 14 year old. In 1991 and saw this I would love it and have fond memories of it But not having seen it Growing up and just watching it Like a couple days ago as a 32 year old Person like (laughs) "Eh, you know Like that's a lot of fun It's good I laughed But no I'm I'm not going to like go head over heels For it but I'm sure I'm sure y'all probably have a different Experience Or maybe you don't I don't know
2: It definitely hasn't aged for me as well as Excellent Adventure, but I remember when I was a kid liking it a lot more and I love Death. Like Death almost makes the entire movie for me. But I remember really I remember liking Station more as a kid and that Station was so weird. That like yeah, the the like two become one thing. Uh Like I don't know, the there was a disconnect watching that as an adult. Like it for some reason didn't carry over. Well. It's
0: like this it like ET type like sidekick alien character.
2: It's like Alf plus ET. <laughs> right. You know. I really like it. <laughs> I do love. I do love
1: when he was in their like van trying to put together the robot. Oh yeah, that scene is great. It. when, so when the robots
2: are constructed. The good robot usses.
0: I think, uh, I think i respect the like messy ambition of it mm-hmm. um i would say that probably excellent adventure is better made as far as like a tightly written script even in that one though there's like one character that i would like latch onto the same way that mm-hmm. we latch on to death in this film yeah uh the the lady from the go-go's who plays uh joan of arc yes. like steals that movie for she's me
2: Great! oh she's fantastic so
0: they always have like one like supernatural yeah. anchor
2: yeah they do and I, I thought that there was more Rufus in Bogus Journey, too. Mm-hmm. And I realized like he's only in it for a little bit of the movie.
0: Yeah, George Carlin collected a paycheck for like two days' yeah, work. He just <laughs>
1: stepped. In and he out. literally just comes in the very beginning and then very end, and that's it.
0: And that's kind of how Satan feels as well. Like Satan has like a cameo in this movie, whereas the other two films we picked, where Keanu Reeves faces off against the devil, it's like a feature length back and yeah. forth. Yeah. yeah, the
2: struggle is like the center of it.
0: Um, and most notably so in the next movie we watched, The Devil's Advocate from 1997. Yes. Uh, this is Keanu Reeves as this like hotshot lawyer from Florida going to this big law firm in New York where he's being recruited by Satan himself, played by Al Pacino. Uh, you get it? The Devil's Advocate?
1: Yeah. Pretty, like, pretty literally. <laughs> you literally? Yeah. Uh,
0: <laughs> And much like Lewis Cipher in Angel uh-huh. Heart, uh, his name is John Milton, uh, in reference to Paradise Lost. Yeah, uh, this is another movie I saw in like high school that I really like had great respect for, and I think held up pretty well.
2: Absolutely, yeah. Uh,
0: what was was what was watching Devil's Advocate for this conversation like for you?
2: I so I had not watched it in a. F- few years and to be honest probably hadn't watched the whole thing I remember the climax very well the scene in the like penthouse I remember that mm-hmm. scene like frame by frame but I don't think I watched the beginning of it as a kid because I did not remember how much of a jerk Keanu was
1: how fucked up that first scene is where... yeah
2: exactly well, and, and it's so time yeah it's so timely to have watched that now oh, yeah. and to see how like yeah manipulative the devil is but also like how predatory he is and you know
1: how.
0: yeah he, his yeah. soul is already damned in like the first scene he's he's defending a yeah. child molester on the stand that he knows to be guilty yeah
1: he's literally like touching himself and rubbing the table listening to testimony of yeah. the girl that he raped it's that's a, really hard to watch i know but that's the scene like when I first started and that scene came on, I was like, "Holy shit! All right, this is gonna be a pretty over the top, yeah." Thing of this it's like the your movie very that goes first... there, yeah. All right. It's had gonna... you seen any films from this
0: conversation before today? No, that's amazing. I hadn't seen a <laughs> single one. Yeah, <laughs> that's amazing. Well, there's a lot going on in this one.
1: You I have lo- like I love this one. I just had to say like, I'm head over heels for this movie, and I loved it way more than any other one. In at least in this group of yeah. Three.
0: I agree. This is my favorite of the Keanu Reeves versus the devil yeah. trilogy that we carved wow. out here. But there's a lot going on in it. You have like Craig T. Nelson is this like OJ Simpson type who like murdered his wife or his housekeeper. His
1: maid and his wife and
0: I think his daughter. Yeah, his his
2: daughter as He's well.
0: obviously guilty and Keanu Reeves is hired to get him off. But he's also playing this like Donald Trump type character. Uh, and some of the scenes in his apartment are actually shot in Donald Trump's apartment. Really? Uh, So all the like gaudy gold-plated sets you see in the movie are actually like Donald Trump's like apartment. That's
2: incredible. 1997. Yeah. So yeah, it's a good time to film something in Donald Trump's (laughs) apartment.
0: And usually whenever Donald Trump would license out his properties, he would require that he would be in the film. Uh, But instead they, I guess maybe from scheduling conflicts, they had Craig T. Nelson as like the stand-in for him and O.J. Simpson, which is like 90s like violence like <laughs> embodied in one person that's incredible so you have that uh you also have you know keanu reese is this hot shot lawyer with this like southern like foghorn leghorn type uh style of, like sweaty lawyering uh yes. and he brings his young wife up with him to new york and she goes through this like rosemary's baby type narrative absolutely uh where she's tempted with this apartment um there's a little bit of the yellow wallpaper thrown in there yeah. too where, like, the walls and the decoration are driving her nuts. Yeah,
2: the, and the color. There's a lot of, like, color in this movie that's really like, powerful. The change from, like, yellow to green to... I forget what kind of off color she settles on.
0: It's some, like, sickly yellow. Yeah. Uh, and she is, much like Rosemary's Baby, like, raped and impregnated by the devil. Thankfully not shown in the film, but you get the uh, after effect of her losing her mind and breaking down. And Charlize Theron gives this, like... Oscar-worthy performance is like, a woman broken. Just completely losing her mind.
2: She's incredible. She's so young in this that she almost gives me some showgirls vibes, which I feel like I've never gotten... I've never made that... I forget that actress's name, but I've never... Gina Gershon? Yeah, I've never made that Gina Gershon connection there.
0: It's definitely melodrama. Like, it's so over-the-top and, like, beyond the realm of, like, human emotion. But she sells it so well that you can't help but, like, feel
1: for her. And there is something with those... With their accents that, I don't know, I thought they were awful and, like, really funny at the same time. They're stereotypical, like, southern twang, which, aren't they from Florida? Yeah. They're
2: from Tallahassee. No, No, Jacksonville. The (laughs) other good place. Just like Jason Mendoza. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've been to Jacksonville. I don't think people really sound like that. They sound like they're
0: seconds away from wrestling a gator at any second. (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But, I don't know, like... I do like that idea of like the naive southerner going up to the big city and selling their soul and like corrupting themselves for money. And
0: and yeah, and that's the third track of the film is Al Pacino's tempting him with all this money and power and women and sort of like grooming him to be this like evil thing that yeah. has like sold his soul for, you know, all the riches of the world.
1: Yeah, the, the movie is just delicious. What do you love about it?
0: It's delicious, dude. Everything, like... The, and, like, the Black Phillip, like, would you like to live deliciously kind
2: of way? Well, yeah, it's just, like... <laughs> Absolutely, no, yeah. Al is living deliciously, for sure.
1: Yeah, and he, he doesn't he, like, even have
2: a bed. He just, like, doesn't sleep. He fucks wherever he wants, like...
1: Fucks yeah. and works and yeah. makes money, and uh, it just takes everything, and it doesn't, like, have any nuance, just dials it all up to 11. The script is, like, outrageous, and it's just, like... When I first started, I was like, oh my God, this movie's two hours and 40 minutes long like what how the hell am I gonna get through <laughs> Fuck, this? Yeah,
0: that's a lot. But
1: then like halfway through I was so engaged I was like, man, I could watch this for like three <laughs> and a half hours like this is great, yeah. dude I don't know it just like the level of camp and kind of over the top aspects of it that that's what I want in like an Al Pacino as the devil movie.
0: And he does get his very long over-the-top rant about God and the state of the universe, the same way Jack Nicholson as the devil in the last movie we talked about gets the like rant. This book,
2: God's ex planet, like that. That the phrasing in that rant is (laughs) priceless.
0: He's laughing at you. It's his sick fucking joke. Yeah. yeah. Really fun to watch him chew scenery. And I think both Al Pacino and Keanu Reeves have this sort of like Nick cage oh, yes. uh, level of like overacting where it's like delicious to borrow a phrase mm-hmm. to watch them like go over the top and really chew the scenery. Like it's just a pleasure to watch them overact. Uh, so to see them doing it against each other in the same film is, is really great. Chemistry. I think they
1: play off of each other well too. When Keanu and Al Pacino are in the same scene like he's kind of playing the straight man as you could play a straight man in that kind of movie but just kind of gives Al Pacino the leeway to act completely uh over the top I love it how does this work as like a Keanu Reeves showcase
2: I'm disappointed that I feel like he doesn't keep up his accent through the entire movie. <laughs> no, but but that in itself is a Keanu Reeves sort of hallmark to me when he has uh-huh. to be like sometimes he slips out of persona in these in these roles that he, you know, gets Just, a lot of critical acclaim for. Like he's still sort of is a little lazy in his he performance always, sometimes. Yeah. He
1: always defaults back to just yeah. himself. So
2: it was fascinating to see sort of like the Hick Florida lawyer slip <laughs> slip back into the California. Yeah. Because it, it worked. It worked because both of those can be absolutely callous and careless and, you know, material obsessed or whatever. Like it was, that's not what I expected rewatching it. Was seeing those, like, different layers. And then the, the the interrogation at the end, you know, you get, you get the, like, belligerent Keanu. And then self-sacrificing Keanu. I feel like he
0: has this thing that's really hard to describe. And this is what I love about Keanu Reeves. Is he has this muted way of overacting. Mm-hmm. Where he's not yelling mm-hmm. at the top of his lungs the way Al Pacino is. Yeah. But, like, it's an intense version of quiet acting yeah Mm -hmm. um you ever seen knock knock from a few years ago This like really nasty eli roth home invasion film no it's some of my favorite keanu reeves overacting it's the only eli roth movie i've ever watched yeah home
2: invasion stuff is yeah not my
0: thing at all it's really good though it's really funny awesome because he does this thing where he's like his kids ask him what he wants for breakfast and they get him like donuts and he's like chocolate with sprinkles
1: my favorite <laughs> <laughs> So he's not like
0: Nick Cage like screaming, yeah. but he's still overacting in this like yeah. really controlled kind of way. Oh my gosh. And yeah. I think out of the three movies we saw, you know, Bill and Ted has him being like very cartoonish. Yeah. And I think he's very muted in the third movie we're gonna talk mm-hmm. about. But I think in Devil's Advocate, he's doing the muted overacting together. And it's like perfect Keanu Reeves.
2: Absolutely. And you get to, yeah, you get to also, I don't know, I just, as a a person that's super attracted to this guy, you get to see him like bite a woman's butt, like (laughs) suck a toe. You really get to see him do some funny physical acting in this. Like it's a really serious movie, but it's also like, it's got some wacky moments.
0: And we've also talked about some like questionable CGI in this episode already.
2: Oh, the little face morphs. Yeah. Yeah.
0: There's a lot of, like, sort of not quite there yet 90s CGI in the film. But I think it's kind of effective. And it's, like, this hedonism where the devil's touching you, but all you see is, like, a hand kind of moving under the skin. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't look great, but I think the effect works fine. Yeah. Where, like, the idea of, like, this, like, hand that's, like, inside of your body, like, between your meat and your flesh is, like, really unnerving. Yeah. Even if it doesn't look fantastic. Well, I
1: also thought when the women change faces to, like, show their demonic side, like, kind of the same thing. Like, it's not great CGI, but it it works, and it actually did kind of freak me out a little bit. Did y'all look up the
0: production history of this very much at all? Mm -mm. So, this movie was in, like, production limbo for a while, and I think I was kind of getting at this when I was describing all the different tracks and James talking about how fucking long it is. (laughs) Oh, yeah. It went through several different drafts and in every instance they were coming up Al Pacino trying to get him to play this character and he was just not interested. Hmm. And basically he wasn't interested because it was supposed to be the CGI effects showcase. Um it was supposed to be originally directed by Joel Schumacher, who did oh, like God, this awful him. like <laughs> just like every bad number twenty three. Yeah, well, I, I know like, you like Batman. And I like Robin. his gay Batman and Robin movie, but that's the only like one I really stand for. Everything else he's done is rough. awful. I really like Lost Boys a little bit too because it's also pretty gay. Ooh, yeah. Oh, uh,
1: did he do Lost? Okay, I'll give him a pass on that. Yeah, <laughs> but everything yeah, else I've seen line. from that guy is awful.
0: But he wanted to do this like CGI showcase where it's like this like special effects showdown, and Al Pacino kind of took over as the the auteur of the film. I mean, if you look at the director's other credits, they're complete bland, like, room temperature, like, oatmeal mush. An
2: officer and a gentleman. Yeah. yeah. that's
0: the That's the standout, yeah. is the officer and a gentleman. Yeah. Whereas Al Pacino, like, recrafted this film through negotiations to make it this, like, drama between him and Keanu Reeves instead of this, like, CGI fest. And I, I really respect him for, like, sticking to his guns and making this weird-ass, like, supernatural horror drama out of it.
1: Well, and that... I mean, I think that's kind of a good segue to the third film. Yeah.
0: Constantine from 2005, uh, directed by Francis Lawrence, uh, who also directed The Hunger Games. This was another movie with a troubled production. Through one instance, it was supposed to be Tarzan who did The Fall, and Nicolas Cage uh, in the Keanu Reeves role, which would have been really interesting, I think. Mm -hmm. Uh, Wow. But what we get instead is we get this sort of like, CGI superhero action pick. And this ties into what we've been talking about all month with... We did the Darkman series and then Brittany and I talked about Blade. So you have this like sort of action horror superhero subset of films. And Constantine is very much that. It's, it's Keanu Reeves is this exorcist who is trying to negotiate his way into heaven by banishing demons back to hell. Uh, he's damned because... He killed himself, I believe, Mm -hmm. and he ended up back alive. And there's this sick bet between God and the devil where they are arguing about whether or not man is worth saving. And they have these like sort of half angels and half demons who whisper in our ears, influencing us to do good or bad, to sort of like influence the bet. And only Keanu Reeves can see this nefarious dealings. Uh, It's like his superpower and his curse kind of and he performs these exorcisms to send him back, send the demons back to hell to sort of like win God's favor. Meanwhile, he, he falls into this plot with Rachel Weitz, who's like a legitimately good actress. The plot between them is that her twin sister is being influenced by the devil... To bring, no, by the devil's son. Yeah. To bring like hell on earth and bring in the devil's sun rain and like kick Satan to the side.
2: Yes. The
0: mythology of this movie is way more complicated than what I even described just now. And that was very You difficult. did a pretty good job. <laughs> yeah. I, I was actually
1: in yeah. amazement of how well you summed up. Yes. Wow. I think that
0: mythology is probably my favorite part of the movie. It's just like the world they sketched out here and like his different weaponry that he uses to banish the demons and like his yeah. methods of communicating with hell yeah there's an extensive sequence where he puts one foot in water and one on the ground and looks into a cat's eyes and that's how he mentally transports himself to hell to like retrieve hell's version of the bible it's just an insane sprawling mythology this was a first time watch for me i don't know about y'all uh but i liked it mostly but i'm a little lukewarm on it how did y'all feel Mm,
2: i i wish that high school me had seen this keanu and shia labeouf um oh but God, yeah Lebeuf yeah like, yeah, oh yeah
0: shia labeouf plays his understudy that's supposed to take over once yeah. his soul transcends this plane yeah, let's not
2: forget shia um <laughs> but i yeah it made it, the, watching this made me want to read the graphic novels that it's based off of to kind of sketch out that universe a little bit more and it reminded me a little bit of clean room which is like when the lead person is, like, banishing demons back to hell.
0: What's Clean Room? I've never heard of that.
2: It's um, Gail Simone, did, like, Red Sonja, and oh, okay. some, other, some other comics that are not coming to mind. But it's, like, it's a super-duper gory but beautifully done um, series about, yeah, this, like, room in which you can make anyone imagine anything, but you can also, like, extract demons and send them back to hell and all kind of stuff. That sounds great. It's, it's awesome. Highly hmm. recommend it.
0: I think this one's Alan Moore, right? Like uh I, think, I believe so I think it is, Constantine yeah. started yeah. as a character in Swamp Thing or Hellboy, mm-hmm. something like that. And then Hellblazer was like the name of the comic line yes. that he was in.
1: It did yeah. feel a lot like trying to condense a whole comic book series into two hours and yeah, it's like a little too much. The mythology is great, but like mm-hmm. man, they really try to fit in a lot. And it becomes a lot to even like wrap your yeah, brain around. Like, I was trying to like take notes about like what is the, <laughs> the plot the pacing? and like the different, yeah.
2: Yeah, I feel like the pacing is really strange. Like, they try to squeeze in this really um, like emotional conversation in the very end between all the deities. And it, I don't yeah. know. Was that, did that work for y'all after that was all the action? Part. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 loved did
1: like, it. I did like, I did want more Tilda Swenton.
0: Well, First of all, any time Tilda Swinton is like gender blind casted, it's great. Yeah. Uh, In Orlando, in, um, what's the other one I'm thinking of? Uh, It's not coming to me, but she's going to be in the new Suspiria playing a man as well. And in here she plays Gabriel, the angel, uh, and looks perfectly angelic. She has like bound breasts and uh, like blonde uh, locks that are like beautifully straightened out, mm-hmm. and then you know expansive wings and heavy
2: wings, huge wings. Uh,
0: first scene uh, where Gabriel is introduced, he's also wearing this like dapper suit by a fireplace and looks yeah. great. But yeah, anytime Tilda Swinton is like cast as a man, I'm like this movie's good. <laughs> well,
1: okay, that was um, the guy from Bush. Gavin Rosdale? Gavin Rosdale as the, um, what was it? Come on. He was in this movie. What, I'm not what making, was he playing? <laughs> he was uh, like, not Beelzebub. What, remember, he got into the big fight with Keanu and his face. Like the,
0: the devil's son or whatever yeah. towards the end? Yeah. I did not pick up on that. Huh. I don't know what he
1: really looks like. Gavin he's Rosedale. a he's a
2: big old dude. I no, feel like I would have re- remembered Gavin Rosdale, but maybe. But well, anyway, y'all anyway. talk.
1: I'm gonna look it up, look Google it, because it. it's bothering <laughs> me. It was bothering me during the movie.
0: So here, I think is what is kind of limiting me here. The mythology is great, and I could dig into all the different like weird weapons and yeah. the negotiations between heaven and hell. I think maybe the relationship between Rachel Weitz and Keanu is not particularly great. Even though they're both good actors, they have like zero chemistry together.
2: And they keep like teasing you. They keep teasing the viewer, like as if you really want to see them make out and they don't. And there's like a couple close calls, but it doesn't actually
1: even at the end. Right. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, it's like, I'll see you around, that'd be good, or I'd like that. Yeah, that's kind of lame.
0: It doesn't make any sense either, because there's so much more interesting shit happening everywhere around them.
2: Yeah, and I also, I wonder in universes like this, and this might be explained in the comic books, but so there's this whole underground club, right? Those are all demons and psychics, right, that can get in by reading the card?
0: Yeah, I think those are the influencers on both sides, and that's where they like socially mingle. So
2: if there's that many of them then shouldn't there be more people that can see these like demons? You know, it's kind of weird that it's just like this one, wom- this, you know, woman and her sister and Constantine.
0: Yeah. And I guess that's what makes it a
1: superpower is that they can like, sure. Right. And sorry, just interjecting. Yes, that was Gavin Rossdale as, uh, <laughs> balthazar Balthazar. i haven't seen him since music videos in the 90s he was like, married, no to, he was he married like. to gwen stefani i remember he that he was in
0: bush i that's you the, know, <laughs> those are the music videos i
1: remember <laughs> you don't remember, remember him as balthazar in this movie he no. was like the suave did not recognize him
2: oh i man. will tell
0: you which casting i did like in the movie was peter Stormare as the devil himself uh, oh yeah that was great yeah, yeah. And that's supposedly what we're talking about here, but Keanu Reeves trying to get one over on the devil and like having the final showdown with him, they interact on screen for maybe like three to five minutes, like slightly longer than Bogus Journey, but yeah. they make it count in this like really great dramatic, like back and forth. Uh, Peter Stormare comes in in this like really grotesque white suit that's like sooty. Yeah. And he has these nasty tattoos and his teeth are just
2: wrong. And his
1: veins are like vaguely popping out. Yeah. And his eyes are just, like, completely bloodshot. And there's just something, like, weirdly sexual about him
0: in this, like, thoroughly unsexy way. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and they have kind of, like, a playful rapport, too. Or, mm-hmm. like, when Keanu thinks he's getting away with it and going to heaven, he gives him the finger. And Peter Stormare gets him back by sucking the cancer out of his lungs and saving his life. <laughs> damning him back to the I earth. I did
1: think this movie was a one of the most effective anti-smoking PSAs oh, yeah. I've ever seen Like, I I don't want to ever touch a cigarette after seeing John Constantine. Yeah. He's, like, smoking, like, 90% of the movie. He
2: is.
0: Well, that's, like, the noir detective angle of this, right? Like, he's in the City of Angels, and he's, like, a hard-boiled, like, supernatural detective, and he he drinks even though he's dying, and he smokes even though he has cancer. That
1: does go back to one of my favorite jokes from Bogus Journey, where death is passing the guy smoking. He's like, I'll see See you soon. soon. (laughs) (laughs) I kind of, yeah, I was thinking about that a lot during Constantine. But anyway, here's my second
0: quarrel after the, uh, lack of chemistry between the romantic leads. I think Francis Lawrence fucking ruins this movie. Uh, the director, like you
1: don't like all the oh, like I hate it. weird angles and last episode
0: kinda... you and I talked about Sam Raimi and Hume Colette Sarah mm-hmm. doing that same like swoopy CGI camera, like moving right. it around and tilting the frame and stuff. I think it works exceptionally well in those examples, but something about it in this movie I just found really distracting. It was just like calm the fuck down and shoot the scene. Like everything is moving and tilting, and like it looks like a new metal music video.
1: Well, I was gonna say, like maybe it's a combination of actual new metal with that and the kind of cheap looking CGI, all those different layers. I get that.
0: And I have a really toxic relationship with new metal too, because I loved it so much in the early 2000s that whenever I hear it in movies now, I cringe so fucking hard. <laughs> like, yeah, it's really bad. It's a
2: tone ruiner for sure. I definitely feel like that this era of movie making and just like, yeah, that the angles of the shots and the music, I feel like you have that. All of those ha- had to be in this together, unfortunately. And also
1: having the guy from Bush... Yeah, no, that really is the cherry It really really just completes the whole thing We said
0: this was 2005, right? So I'm imagining what Bush was like at that time Were they still a band?
1: I think they were kind of over at that point Yeah, I think he was trying to dabble in the acting I don't know But wasn't there like a Perfect Circle song too? Mm -hmm. In this movie, I remember Mm -hmm. when he's like walking through the club Yeah, I picked up on a few different like new metal bands Definitely
2: Maynard something for sure. I yeah. No, it was, I think it was a yeah.
1: perfect circle. But yeah, it, it has that vibe. It's a little gross.
0: And I guess even the casting of Keanu Reeves is like reliving that like late 90s, early 2000s, like Matrix. Yes. Vibe where... Yeah.
1: Was this post Matrix? Oh, by far. By yeah. far, okay, yeah. Well, yeah. On
0: all shot. the
2: sequels and everything. Yeah. Yeah. It
0: just feels a little outdated. You know, the way that like New Metal like hung out on like modern rock radio longer than it should have? Mm-hmm. Like this feels like if it should have come out five years earlier and I would have been like way more enthusiastic about it yeah. at the time. And it would have felt maybe less stale and like forced yes. if it had come out at that time too. But what what do you think about like I keep asking the same question every movie, but what do you think about this as like a Keanu Reeves like film. Like what do you get out of it as like a Keanu Reeves picture?
2: I like to see the hero, Keanu Reeves, in movies when he sort of like reaches his breaking point or when he reaches like his point at which he has to summon all of his power and there's sort of there, like moments where you think he's hit the bottom, and he's like, No, I'm just gonna kill myself you know, like well actually he does that in two of two of the movies that we watched. Yeah. Um see yeah, I like seeing him in the absolute depths. I guess it's um it's sad, Keanu. Sad Keanu. Yeah, <laughs> really, no, no. That, that really, that we really get meme. out of this, even though that meme came about so much later. You know, it's like he can't like bring himself to kiss this woman that he's been through this ordeal with, even though they both sort of want it. Like he'd rather just he does, smoke cigarettes and
1: he, doesn't he? He like kind of negs her throughout the yeah. first half yeah. of the movie, yeah. just like obviously she's trying to ask him to like help her and do things, like nah. Yeah. I don't want to. And then eventually he's like a cynic and curmudgeon. He finally comes around. Yeah. But then at the end, he doesn't even go no. in for the kiss. dude. No. But like, what are you doing? He's like, you know
0: I don't know that like silly woman. You don't know what you're getting into. Kind of dynamic is not yeah. cute.
1: No, it's not. Not at all. But speaking of the suicide thing, though, I did love the image of him putting out the cigarette in his own blood. <laughs> that I thought that yeah. was like one of the most badass yeah. things in the whole movie.
0: Uh, also badass is the uh, golden crucifix gun that shoots fire bullets.
1: <laughs> that yeah. was incredible. You're, you are right. That, that is was also truly incredible. Also, death. just the
2: that basement in Papa Midnight's club with all the relics and everything in it. Like, I could have do, done with another half hour just in of that club. relics of, like, mm. here are the other weapons you might need, you know. know. A yeah. little crucifix dart He has, like, or an whatever.
0: apothecary, like, delivery early on, too, right? Like, the guy that yeah. like, brings him, like blessed
2: water from yeah. the sea of Galilee or right. something like yeah.
1: that. Yeah. One more badass scene I will say, cause we kind of crapped on it a little bit, but there is some cool stuff in there. Like I do like that his preacher friend dies. Remember he's like trying to chug alcohol, but oh, he like, yeah. he can't oh, get it. Yeah. Right. And he's like, he can't actually swallow or taste it. And it turns out he could the whole time and he dies of He drowns alcohol. himself in alcohol. Yeah. Yeah. I thought I was like, damn, that was a gnarly death scene. That feels like a devil's advocate kill, right? Mm, like it feels like it the devil's like playing tricks
0: yeah. on your mind and you're not really cognizant of what's your
1: physical body's doing. Yeah, and that was Gavin Rossdale. Balazar <laughs> dude. Not even the Lee devil, Singer the devil's Bush. son. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
2: I really also love Yeah, do you know what? I, I'm glad that we're talking about the things that we that we like in this movie because it didn't it didn't work as a whole, but there were little there were individual places that I really loved. The the guy who's the collector who yeah, like in the apothecary with all the bottles suspended oh, in yeah. the ceiling above him. It's pretty incredible. His, His name's cool. Bee Man. B yeah, like Bee Man. And yeah. when he
0: dies he's like swarmed by bees. Yeah. That yeah. <laughs> was, <I> was <laughs> two on the
1: nose. No, so I, I know kinda know that like that the about. comic
0: book obviousness That's of true, it yeah. though. Yeah, and yeah, he lives in this like behind the pins of the bowling yeah. alley. Yeah, that set design is really beautiful. It's awesome. I
1: think that is, like, the blessing and the curse of this kind of movie that has such a large mythology is it has to be episodic. And so some of the episodes work. Mm -hmm. But as a whole, like, it's not a cohesive thing. But you can always pinpoint in these kind of movies, like, oh, I loved that part or that scene, just like in a, you know, in a comic book. Like, I like that series or that issue, whatever.
0: And if I had to, like, sort of galvanize all these in, like, one concept, I'd say maybe what makes The Devil's Advocate the clearest vision out of all of them Mm. is that this film, Bogus Journey, and Devil's Advocate all feel like there were, like, too many cooks. (laughs) Like, it's these really big, ambitious productions that, like, went through these, like, long negotiations Mm -hmm. and feel like a lot is being thrown at the screen in all three of them. But in Devil's Advocate, you have Al Pacino sort of, like, guiding the movie he wanted to be in. Mm. And I feel like the sprawling mess of ideas in Bogus Journey is really endearing to me. Yeah. But in Constantine, I'm not really sure that any kind of clear, concise vision of what the film was supposed to be really comes through. And instead, there's, like, things I like about Mm. it. Like you were saying, like, pinpoint things, like... Uh, I really like Tilda Swinton's casting. I really like that Golden Gun. I really like Keanu Reeves' like noir detective like attitude. Mm-hmm. But I don't really feel like any kind of clear vision like brought all those things together in any kind of concise way. But you know, at the same time, the ending is one of the most satisfactory parts of the movie uh, with Peter Stormare and him sort of like facing off and like deciding on the fate of his soul.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, excluding the sort of epilogue after that. Uh, and anytime you end on like one of your better parts, it's like hard to like really hate on a movie.
1: That you know? is one of the only things I felt Dev- Devil's Advocate got wrong is I felt like it ended. Besides the over the top Al Pacino thing, the way it actually ends, where he wakes up like in court, and it was all like, it was all in the of, blink of an eye, uh, all in a dream, in and now room. I've rethought my morality. But then no, the devil was actually manipulating I, I don't know.
0: That second turn saves it for the me. The second turn. Uh, if it was like, yeah, Oh, she, I shouldn't defend this child molester. That was bad of me. And then the movie ends. I would hate it. But then it like resets. It's like, Oh, this motherfucker still has like vanity mm. issues or like power hungry issues. We're yeah. going to,
2: we're going to get him on this. Get him him next time. Of, yeah. yeah. And it's like
0: relitigating, uh, like a law- like a lawyer case. I will agree though.
1: Constantine does end very strongly. So mm-hmm.
0: minus the relationship, drama that has to like sort of solve itself see after you that. around yeah whatever <laughs> i'll never see you again because that sequel did not get greenlit <laughs> No. <laughs> well what do you think about keanu reeves versus the devil in general did you think that there's anything like interesting about this particular track of his career
2: i i think this track is interesting because you you see him in previous movies he, he's been the messiah he has sort of played devil or a devil-like figure in like the Bad Batch for instance and he's sort oh, yeah. of like this drug lord. He's kind of a messiah and the devil in that movie. Um which is not that great but his performance is is worth it.
0: We considered talking about that one for that exact reason yeah. cuz he is playing this like cult leader in the desert yeah. and just have like a devilish like tinge to it yeah and
2: there's there's such an easiness like about the way he plays the character that i don't know is is delicious to call <laughs> delicious and, yes. i'd
0: say that's another sprawling like all over the place movie where i could pick things i really liked about it too. Uh, yeah. yeah yeah
2: yeah as a whole i don't know that i don't know that it's that great but it's a it's a fun thing to visit in my in my mind i'm trying to think of other movies where keanu reeves has um engaged in devilry and I'm sure that I'm sure that more will I come. I mean,
0: The Matrix has like a biblical track mm-hmm. to it, And that mm-hmm. um, what's the uh, philosopher motherfucker, the Joseph Joseph Campbell, yeah, the Joseph yeah. Campbell oh, like, yeah, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Messiah track or whatever. Heroes, like, uh, uh, Hero's like, journey. Uh, uh, journey. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Jesus Christ is just one example, um, <laughs> and so is counter Reason in The Matrix. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much the same thing. Yeah. I-, I wonder why they keep casting him in. These like supernatural, like fantastical things and why that sticks out to us as fans of his more so than like I don't think of like rom-coms that he's in that didn't really go anywhere. Yeah,
2: Speed or... Rom- yeah, like Point Break. Oh, well, I, mean, I think yeah. Speed and Point Break are great. <laughs> uh, no, those are incredible movies. Yeah. I, I, yeah, Point Break's like probably my I, favorite honestly, Keanu I, Reeves movie.
1: It might be that he likes to make those kind of movies. That's yeah. probably what I'm thinking
0: too, yeah. yeah. But I want to think that because I also like watching genre films. So like finding like a yeah. kindred spirit in him is like important to me.
2: <laughs> yeah, I don't know that he has that he has any like personal connection to the occult. Or that he's a practitioner of like any of that stuff. I remember, you know, just lightly Wikipediaing him to, you know, accompany my already extensive Keanu knowledge. And I think that he's like maybe dabbled in Zen Buddhism at some point, you know, but he's not, you
0: know That's a very California Exactly. Like
2: yeah, I don't I don't know that he has any investment in these things outside of playing these roles.
1: The impression I get is just like he's a badass dude that's into badass stuff. So he's into like the devil. He's into meditation and he's into heavy metal and he's just into cool stuff. So he picks like pretty cool. He roles. makes motorcycles right now. Makes motorci- yeah, yeah, he's just like Arch an awesome guy and you can see it in his tape, his choice of roles. Like he picks badass stuff. Even his most recent like
0: career boost was in John, John Wick. Wick,
1: which is awesome. Yeah, and that one's like
0: a very complex, almost sci-fi mythology, even though it's like an action revenge film.
1: Yeah, I think he he's found his lane. He's a cool guy. I would
2: love to hang <laughs> love out with him Keanu. one day. And the
1: Devil's Advocate holds up really well. I think.
2: Oh yeah, so good. Yeah, like like pain, painfully well. You know, like, just, it's like
0: yeah, I probably shouldn't like it as much as I do because it does have glaring faults the way these other two films do, but they don't stick out to me as much because I have, mm. like have such a fun time with the ride.
2: Oh, and I think the yeah, I think the faults propel the. I guess it's still problematic if the faults propel the story, but it, yeah, yeah, it it feeds into all of it.
0: Uh, and speaking of problematic, knock knock is definitely worth watching. All right, all <laughs> just right. for his performance alone, it has all the same problems as like any home invasion sexual menace kind of yeah. thriller would have. But his performance is so Nick Cagean that like it sort of like articulated what I love about Keanu Reeves yeah. in this oh, way I, I hadn't it. seen in a film before. I'm gonna
2: continue this um, yeah. with that that movie Continue it also made me movie. think
1: like maybe eli roth can make a good movie
0: he hasn't since or before but he did that one he time. he did that one time
1: <laughs> so there's hope
0: i will like to mention that virginia is in crew divine which is our divine themed mardi gras crew uh, so you can catch us out on Mardi Gras Day next year. Come is divine. meet
2: Edna Turnblad, the Rat Terrier Chihuahua mix. Is she coming it's out gonna next be, year? She's going to be marching with uh, us. That is
0: a celebrity sighting, right yeah. there. <laughs> yeah,
2: you won't want to miss her.
0: Is there any other stuff you'd like to promote on the podcast? Uh-huh. Doesn't even have to be anything you're directly involved in.
2: Support the uh, support the People's Assembly. <laughs> What's the People's Assembly? Um, it's just a group of folks in New Orleans and different like working class backgrounds that have working groups and or tackling different issues in the city. I am not a- that actively involved. I just want people to check it out if you don't know about it already. That's awesome. Yeah. And I'm, the New Orleans I'm Workers gonna Google that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And for our end, this podcast is now on Spotify, which is something I did last week. So, if that's a place you listen to stuff, it's available on there now. Uh and I hope everyone has a good Halloween happy halloween happy halloween eat some candy and get spooked (laughs) bye bye everybody